Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Blue Danube, 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird. I think I was just I was just telling you off the mic that uh, when people say Blue Danube, what I hear is a walk through the Black Forest from uh, the pirate radio episode of The Goodies. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, uh, and I don't really even remember it from two thousand and one. Like I don't remember the. It's kind of like a defining piece of music. Yeah, I, all I remember from two thousand and one <laughs> is just that ah uh, that kind of that hmm. bit. I don't I don't remember anything else. And there's a toilet flush in there somewhere because <laughs> it was like one of the first times anyone had ever flushed a toilet in a movie. That apparently is the only joke in the whole film. <laughs> that, that, well, it's a Kubrick. That does not surprise me. <laughs> he wasn't I, known for his uh, robust sense of humour. The cheeky, the cheeky minx that he was. I saw 2001 at an anniversary screening. That's the only time I've ever got motion sickness watching a movie. Like, yeah, right. I felt sick to my stomach, really nauseous. I only saw it like... Maybe a year or so prior to the pandemic, I kind of made the effort because <laughs> it was playing at the Aster, and I was like, "Yeah, right. I've got it's about time." Mm-hmm. Like, I'd, and I'd read, I'd read part of the book, yep, like the stuff with the monkeys, uh, and I'd seen that part of the movie prior, mm-hmm. but I hadn't watched the rest of it. And then I, I and I got to tell you, man, bored shitless. <laughs> You might like 2010 a whole lot more. But yeah. arguably one of the most influential science fiction films of all time, aside from Pluto Nash, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just I love the the irony that Kubrick put into that with, you know, such orchestrated sort of, you know, technology and music that's classical. Like they they don't really yeah. go together, but in this film they kind of complement each other. Anyway, I thought that Strauss's Blue Denue would be the perfect way to kick off today's show. Um, and I have to say, though, just before you move on, like a- as a budding film fan in my early teens, mm. I like I, I'd always known about two thousand one. Like my, my mother was a big Arthur C. Clarke fan, yeah, and she'd read the book and all that sort of stuff. And I just I didn't like, it, and it was like like all Kubrick movies. It was it wasn't the easiest thing to get a hold of like on home video and stuff like that. And I just didn't really... But then I saw Dark Star and I'd read the Dark Star. John Carpenter's Dark Star was like an alternate take, but basically the same thing. <laughs> and I love Dark Star. <laughs> and wow. like now I'm like... <laughs> I re- you've already seen it. <laughs> I see, yeah. I was like, like, I will never go back. It will never happen that I'll watch two... Th- like unless, unless I finally decide to take the plunge into full-blown addicthood 
and like drop acid <laughs> while watching it. I will never watch 2001 A Space Odyssey again. I will watch Dark Star. Wow. Well, I am a huge fan and I can watch it at least once a year. The reason I chose to, to play that music was so we didn't really have to talk about the movie beyond that. <laughs> because it's, you know, you talk sci fi, that's the go to. Um, and in all honesty, I was going to really focus um, on. 2010 for this episode, which okay. we'll, we'll get to the theme in a little bit. Um, but no, I've chosen two others that we can talk about, um, but let's get into it. G'day, everybody. Welcome to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I may have an assortment of new jokes up my sleeve, <laughs> for which I make no apologies. <laughs> Sitting opposite me is your favourite co-host, Ben Helwig, who's still recovering from my last onslaught of jokes. <laughs> Why am I? That was, a, that was a, a dismal period of my life. A well, dark, <laughs> depressing period. Well, you've obviously heard the one about why toilet paper flies around Uranus, right? Looking for Klingons. No? No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Star Trek joke. I, I look. I, I don't know what I've been doing with my life, but I haven't really been hanging around with people who make Star Trek jokes. <laughs> okay, well, that's going to confuse a lot of people that don't know the Star Trek joke. joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have heard what Captain Kurt left in the toilet, haven't you? No. The captain's log. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. No. This sounds like it came out of a thou- like a one of those a thousand and one jokes for kids books. Totally did. <laughs> <laughs> you think I make this shit up? <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, you've guessed it. Today is all about science fiction. The Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival has just kicked off and will be running until November twenty fifth. And today, the festival director Simon Foster will be our guest on the show. He'll be on a bit later to talk about the program. But to celebrate the festival, we're going to uh, we're going to launch into the science fiction movies that made us, which um, I suppose can be interpreted in all kinds of ways. Yeah. But uh, I think we're both coming at this from the same perspective. I think. Well, now we had a bit of there was some there was some discussion. <laughs> Well, these are the, the the films that we watched as, at a young age that kind of had uh, what informed our knowledge of cinema. Would that be a good way to put it? Yeah. But yes, but let it be said that stuff like Star Wars and Star Trek are the complete obvious ones, so I don't really think they'll get much of a look in. Unless you want to talk yeah. about them. No, well, no. Like, I mean, it is, for me, Star Wars is the, the kind of go-to. For our generation, everyone's going to say Star Wars. It is Star Wars. And one of the ones that, that I will touch on, there is there is some pretty cool, there's some cool Star Wars references in that movie, which well, I, okay. I like. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but, um, yeah. Although, was it, uh, what are the, the Boneheads reckon it's a space opera? It's not a science fiction film or oh, something? Yeah, look, you'll, something? You'll, you'll find out soon that, you know, Joe's interpretation of <laughs> science fiction is not what the rest of us kind like of... It, it has to have science in it. <laughs> Like that's that's the part that is it's got science. <laughs> we'll get to that soon. But I mean, blinded me with science. I mean, science fiction's everything from Planet of the Apes and the Matrix to Predator and Lost in Space. I mean, hell, I'm even thinking Batteries Not Included and The Fly and Tron. Like, there's definitely so many directions that science fiction takes. But needless to say, I'm keen to hear what you have to uh, talk about. Uh, and of course, you're going to be hearing from the rest of the gang too. Jared Garn from Monster Pictures will let you know what's been released on physical media this week. Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm will let us know what's been happening in the world of movies. Chloe Ritchie from Movie Night with the Ritchie Girls podcast will be sharing a sci-fi favourite of hers that's close to her heart. 
and Adam Ross from Triple M will be uh, doing the same. And of course, the three American movie nerds from the Bonehead Weekly podcast will give you their take on what science fiction actually is. So <laughs> let us be educated. <laughs> It's a huge show, so don't go anywhere. Um, we should also remind you that we do have a TikTok page now and a Letterboxd account uh, in addition on our social media pages. So please, you know, go follow us. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. Our website is goodmoviemonday.com and you can find everything we do archived there. I mean, if you haven't seen Glenn and I do Renegade, you're <laughs> missing out. <laughs> One final plug, if you will indulge us. Um, the Listener's Choice Awards for the Australian Podcast Awards is uh, now up and running and open for the vote. So if you go to the Australian Podcast Awards website, type in Good Movie Monday and cast a vote our way. We would really appreciate that. And I must say, though, they've got us like the little tile they use for the image is our old fake Shemp podcast tile. Oh, lovely. And like everywhere else we have a podcast, we've changed that. So they've obviously like just... <laughs> it's strung they've used, together. They've used an internet scraper. Yes. An outdated internet scraper. I'm trying to fix that, but anyway, you'll find that. And give us a vote. We would love you for it. Um, we're only getting started. There's much more to come. Here's Jarrett with a few words, and then we'll get cracking. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, some heavyweight horror titles hitting home entertainment this week. If they don't a tongue twister, I don't know what one is. Starting with Universal Sony, who are releasing Candyman on Blu-ray and DVD. Now, this is Nia DaCosta's reimagining of Candyman. However, it's less of a remake, more of a refresh of the franchise, as it does take into account the events and characters of the first film, Bernard Rose's Candyman, and incorporates them into the wider legacy of Candyman. I saw it, I dug it, and I'll definitely be adding it to the collection. However, at this point in time, the 4K UHD is dragging behind the Blu-ray and DVD release. At this stage, it's not going to be available locally until December 8th. I can only imagine this is due to some global shortages on 4K UHD, as even the US is suffering, as there's only one plant within the United States that can manufacture 4K UHD discs. The rest are being done out of Europe. In any case, hopefully Universal stick to plans and will release the 4K on December 8th. But if you are Blu-ray and DVD inclined, it is coming out this week and the Blu-ray will have special features including deleted and extended scenes that includes an alternate ending and there's seven featurettes. Now moving on to another heavyweight horror title from Universal Sony and it's Don't Breathe 2. This one is coming out on 4K UHD Blu-ray and DVD, all the formats in the one week and the release is loaded with special features. You've got an audio commentary, an alternate ending, you've got three featurettes and if you are 4k enthusiast you'll be pleased to hear that you'll be getting Dolby Atmos on the UHD also now also coming out from Universal Sony this week is Respect it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this is the Aretha Franklin biopic and the howling 4k UHD finally arrives locally on store shelves now moving on to Disney Disney have another recent theatrical title it's hitting home entertainment super super recent in that Again, it's broken this uh, window of less than 90 days. I think it may have been 60 days since it was released in cinemas. Anyway, it's Marvel's Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. It's coming out on 4K UHD, Blu-ray and DVD. And our local release is coming out a week ahead of the UK and about three weeks ahead of the US release. This release, the Blu-ray and 4K are loaded with special features including a commentary, there's 11 deleted scenes, a gag reel, two featurettes, and 4K enthusiasts, you'll be happy to hear, Dolby Atmos. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. 
You know, Ben, if I was being subjective, then I might say that Doctor Who is the greatest science fiction story of them all. But if I was being objective, I might say Doctor Whom. <laughs> Grammar jokes. <laughs> that's where it's come to, Glenn. That's, that's, how, that's how far we've fallen. <laughs> well, anyway, as you heard, some great titles coming out this week. Jarrett did mention Don't Breathe 2. Um, and he actually interviewed the directors of that one for us on this show. If you go back a few weeks, you can hear... I'm never going to pronounce these guys' say, names he, right. I thought he talked to the directors of Lights Out too. <laughs> he interviewed Fetty Alvarez and Rodo Sieguez. I got it right. No if, you say, to, if you say so. No need to draw attention to it, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> that was our September 6th episode, so go back and have a listen. Thanks to Jarrett for that. And, of course, don't forget Monster Fest is coming up in December. We're getting close, Ben. We're getting real close. Like, so close that I'm... Uh, Starting to panic. <laughs> so close I can smell it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, visit the Monster Fest website and or Facebook page and check out their program and purchase tickets and all that stuff. We're going to actually be hosting some Monster Fest exclusive episodes coming up in December. We are indeed. Cannot wait for that. Some special guests on the way. Some, uh, some really amazing stuff to look forward to. It's going to be interesting because I've seen all the films mm. and you haven't seen any of them. Yep. So that's going to make, that's going to make for some fun, uh, some fun content. I'll just sit back and let you steer. <laughs> Like, like, so, uh, where'd the idea for this one come from? Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> no. <laughs> It'd be horrible, horrible, horrible questions. Well, so, what are you into? <laughs> <laughs> be like a really bad dating game. I'm just going to open up with what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love your outfit. Uh, so, yeah. I'm excited about those. Monster Fest, as I said, check it out. And one more plug, Ben, before we really start talking about science fiction stuff. Last night, we did a special episode with our old mate Keith, former co-host of the show, all about James Bond. It's a No Time to Die episode. And um, go back and have a listen or a watch. It's on YouTube as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. No time for spoilers. Yes. No time for spoilers. <laughs> 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 what, what did we talk about? There's not much to talk about. Yeah. It's it's hard to talk about that film without talking about spoilers, but I think we made it. I think we pulled it off. We certainly did. Um, I felt pulled off. <laughs> Unscripted joke, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't come from the joke book. <laughs> so I did the screaming eagle. <laughs> Can't see the hand movements that I'm making, but uh, if you know, you know. Anyway, James Bond. Now I can put my sound effect in. <laughs> <laughs> So I've already talked about Pluto Nash, albeit briefly, and on the show previously. And I know you're dying to talk about Wing Commander, but you know we don't have time for that, Ben. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn it. So we have to narrow down our focus and get serious for a moment and uh, talk about movies that actually had an impact on us as kids. And feel free to drop notable mentions in here, mate, if you have any. Um, do you want to go first? Sure. Well, you told me I'm going first, okay. so... <laughs> Boom! The illusion's wanna, been shattered. I don't want to spoil the... Uh, your carefully scripted... Uh... <laughs> There's no time for spoilers, <laughs> no. my friend. <laughs> you, you just you basically said you're going first. Uh, and that was just after I told you that I, I had no notes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you... Do you think I do? <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I always figure you... I can't see what's on the screen that you're looking at, so I always figure that you're... Yeah, you're all noted up. It is a compliment not, when people can't tell when I'm on script and when I'm off script. Oh, yeah, 
<laughs> like, I mean, I know Sam Sam uh, magically has has IMDb up in the background, and you're like, I didn't even hear a type. No, it just comes out <laughs> of nowhere. <laughs> I don't know how she does it, but uh, I can't. And I can't tell you're right in front of me, and I can't tell if you're typing away on IMDb. Mm. But uh, I do not pull Lord, those. Resources. Lord knows I am. I don't. It was hard to kind of. I did could say it was hard to narrow this down to I think to two films. I think that we're kind of. Before you go any further, if you can hear some shit in the background, there is construction going on in a big way. So it's yeah. it's, it's not my stomach. No. <laughs> you're, just, you're building a log castle <laughs> internally. Carry on. Uh, that was a throwback to the captain's log joke. It was very difficult to, talk, to, to kind of pick only a couple mm. uh, and to kind of leave out by... By I think you know, <laughs> unspoken agreement to leave out uh, Star Wars and and Star Trek pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so I will I will start off with uh, with this one that funnily enough I think my sister was more obsessed with than I was, mm. but we because of that we watched it over and over and over again, and that is nineteen uh, eighties Flash Gordon. Oh my God! Not Flesh Gordon. <laughs> Not Flesh Gordon. No, I didn't get to see that till much later, and that had a different kind of impact. <laughs> I gotta say, like no, watching Flesh Gordon, it's like you—it's like they made a movie of uh, Guess What or What's New, where they, you know you could go into the little adult section where they had the wind-up penises and vaginas that would hop around on the shelves and freak oh, everyone out. No, that's taking me back. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a bit of—it's a bit of—I uh, don't know. If that's Melbourne history. I don't know if they—I don't know if What's New and uh, stuff uh, made it interstate. It would have been national. Uh, a national chain. I mean, it was in Chatston Shopping Centre. I remember when they opened up, when they opened up the whole downstairs level of Chatston and that, and the Simpsons had just come out. Yep. Like it just started. And that What's New or whatever it was, was packed out. Like you couldn't move. It had so many people and they had all manner of Simpsons bits and pieces. Yes. And... Then this like little small section in the back with wind ups, you know, sex stuff. I bought one of those beer glasses full of beer that's not full of beer. You could splash at people and it didn't actually do anything. (laughs) I remember distinctly. I remember doing the Batman. uh, I remember walking through Myers when The Simpsons first came out, and it was like you know, don't have a cow man, and I could I could rumble everywhere. Cowabunga! No, that was the that was turtles. turtles. It's a good uh, crossover. Yeah, Yeah. they should do that. They did, or maybe Poochie. Poochie oh, was their kind you, of version. I mean, of, we're, we're really, we're really kind of speaking of sci-fi though. Have you read the comic books that do the Simpsons Futurama crossovers? Because they are fantastic. I have not. No, I didn't even know. Like, I love, I love a good, I love a good uh, seemingly nonsensical crossover. So that uh, that's right up my alley. When we're done recording, we'll read some. I've got them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will you read them out loud to me? Okay. Like, tell me, tell me a story. Tell me a story like one of your French girls. So Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Now this is directed. It's directed by uh, by Mike Hodges, who, unbeknownst to me at the time, was the, also the director of one of my all time favorite crime films, Get Carter. Mm-hmm. And it is. I think he made this after Get Carter, and it's quite, quite a. Uh, so we uh, sideways step, shall we say? <laughs> That's a good way to put like it. Like the flash and excess of. Of Flash Gordon versus the kind of stripped back realism of Get Carter. Yeah. Uh, quite different. But both excellent, excellent films. And of course, if, you, if you're not familiar with Flash Gordon, was a was a radio serial, a TV, a, a TV serial, a comic book, a series of novels. It, it's been everything in you know, everyone. And I, like it only just, it was, I never really put the, made the connection before now, like before kind of 
preparing for the show, but that Ming the Merciless is Satan. Like that he's t- like in the comics and everything, he's totally dressed as he's got the red, he's got the kind of like that kind of mm-hmm. um, um, illustrated, the illustrated version of the devil that is Ming the Merciless. And I, I just never put it together. I was just like, he's just like a, you know, and it's he's played by Max von Sydow, who I have never seen hammered up <laughs> yeah, like this in a, in a movie before. And he just, he, he loves it. He's so <laughs> into it. It is amazing. And of course, Sam Jones. Sam Jones is uh, Flash Gordon. And if you've seen the, um, I, I do highly recommend watching the, uh, the what's the docker called? Becoming Flash Gordon or whatever happened to Flash mm. Gordon or whatever that. The, I haven't seen it, but the, yeah. The doco was, which is all about Sam Jones. And they talk to Brian Blessed and they talk to like everyone who's in it. And, uh, and they, you know, it comes out that half, like he disappeared halfway through the filming and it's a different guy doing Flash Gordon. It's a different guy voicing it. How weird. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that they they you know they they luckily they got away with a lot mm. of it. No, I never picked up that it's not Sam yep. Jones throughout the whole thing. Yeah, right. Um, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Oh, right, you've uh, never. Oh, I've, I've it seen re- it, but not since I was a kid. And it's um recently had what 4K re-release, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really I, need to get on it. Like I, uh, I mean, this is for me. This is my. I guess this is my 2001. Like I watch this at least once a year, if not more times. <laughs> Uh, but it's it, yeah. So Sam J. Sam J. Jones is Flash Gordon. Melody, the gorgeous Melody Anderson mm-hmm. is uh, is Dale Arden. I think Topol pops up as Hans Arkov, the most you know, <laughs> the epitome of the science fiction doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's also Timothy Dalton, his greatest Baron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ornella Muti, uh, Brian Blessed, Peter Wingard is great. Sexiest man alive from whatever 1960 <laughs> thing Department S. Peter Wingard is Clytus, and. Uh, um, the great Mariangela Malato, who's <laughs> got some great, has got some great lines. This does also feature a phenomenal soundtrack by Queen, and there is a bit of a nod to it in uh, Bohemian uh, Rhapsody, where uh, Brian May talks <laughs> Freddie Mercury into doing it. He looks at, reads the lyrics and how high he wants him to go, and he's just like, "What are you doing to me?" <laughs> uh, but it is. Awesome. It's definitely a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. But this movie definitely influenced my love of science fiction yeah. from there on out. And it is a completely different yeah. kind of, like it was a much more opulent, much more kind of full-on science fiction kind of you know world than even even things like Star Wars and Star Trek and stuff. Like they didn't, the hedonism didn't exist in the mm-hmm. future like it did yep. uh, here. Excellent. Um, excellent. We're talking about directors that sort of had like a stark contrast between films. This one was directed by Robert Wise, who did direct Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is not that far removed. Andromeda Strain, but also did West Side Story. So like, you know, this is quite a quite a great director, but I'm talking about the 1951 version of The Day the Earth Stood Still, which I used to watch a lot of black and white classics with my folks when I was really young. Um, and this is one of the ones that stood out to me the most. And... I really didn't have comprehension of what sci-fi was at the time, but this story of an alien named Klaatu and his giant robot, Gort, Gort. Um, who come to Earth with an ultimatum, it really had an impact on me. The concept of this ultimatum to the human race was something that, you know, it's the, I guess, the first time I could comprehend deeper meaning within a film. And I think that's where this is a movie right. that made me because I actually understood the politics behind it. Even though I was really young... The, the the story itself it's essentially about world peace it's about an alien that comes to earth and says to the human race if you don't sort your shit out stop fighting 
you know, we're going to have to destroy you because you're you're going to upset the universe type of thing. Yeah. And yeah, and so mankind's instinct for violence and war was having this impact and this this sort of peaceful human this peaceful alien race came to sort it out. And yeah, my my little you know mind was ticking over with what that meant and and it's just such a beautiful film. And the thing about it being 1951 is it came at this era where those um those sort of UFO kind of movies with ray guns and you know nuclear you know atomic mm. sort of you know yeah the movies. giant gila monster yeah. and stuff like so that. So it came at that time, but this is one that has smarts. It was much you know had a lot of brains to it, and um yeah the subtext is obviously um religious as well, which mm. is fascinating because. This Klaatu character is essentially the second coming of Christ. And a lot of people have argued that this movie actually is about the second coming. Right. Because you know, he kind of plays that you know, figure. But anyway, look, I if you've never seen The Daily Earth Stood Still, then, you know. I haven't. My only real knowledge of it, apart from the remake, <laughs> is that they uh, that's where Sam Raimi got the. <laughs> I was going to go to that Dead, next. The yes. Klaatu Verata. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Klaatu Verata Nikto is the words that are used in this. To um, disengage um, Gort, the robot. Right. And yeah, Sam Raimi plucked it for Army of Darkness, which, you know, if you've listened to our show or know anything about what we do, Sam Raimi and the whole Evil Dead universe, you know, plays a very big part. We are fakeshemp.net at the <laughs> website. So, kind of, yeah, so that's where it came from. And I do remember watching Army of Darkness for the first time and knowing precisely where that came from, which is another click moment, you know, when you're, yeah. you're young and it's like, I know where that's from. Does everyone else? You know? yeah. <laughs> Are you all stupid? <laughs> anyway, um, I'll tell you who's not stupid. Me? Well, I was going to say Guillermo, but you know, I'm starting to think. Is he? <laughs> Lucky he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> I rag on him way too much. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Here, as always, to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week and to tell you a little bit about the movie news that's going on in the realm of cinema. Another big update on Christopher Nolan's new film, Oppenheimer, which is already set to star Cillian Murphy and Emily Blunt. You can now add Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon to the lineup. So you've got Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon so far. This will be the first time Downey and Nolan work together while Damon had a role in Nolan's 2014 sci-fi film Interstellar. Oppenheimer will focus on J. Robert Oppenheimer to be played by Cillian Murphy, the American theoretical physicist who ran the Manhattan Project, the World War II undertaking that saw the creation of the first nuclear weapons. Emily Blunt will be playing Robert's wife, Catherine Oppenheimer. Downey is on board as Louis Strauss the Atomic Energy Commission chairman who, during infamous hearings, cast doubt on Oppenheimer's loyalty to the United States and played a major role in Oppenheimer's security clearance being stripped. And Damon will play Leslie Groves, a United States Army Corps of Engineers officer who oversaw the construction of the Pentagon and was director on the Manhattan Project. Nolan will be directing from his own screenplay. The film currently has a US release date of the 21st of July, 2023. Gal Gadot has been cast in Disney's live-action adaptation of Snow White. The Wonder Woman actress won't be playing Snow White, she'll be playing the Evil Queen. Set to play Snow White is Rachel Zegler, the up-and-coming actress who'll be seen in Steven Spielberg's upcoming West Side Story. This live-action adaptation of Disney's 1937 film, their first animated feature, is to be directed by Mark Webb, known for The Amazing Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, 500 Days of Summer, and Gifted. And there's a sequel being planned for 1988 comedy The Great Outdoors, which starred Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. 
Aykroyd himself confirmed to The Hollywood Reporter that he's painting the sequel with the original director, Howard Deutsch. Aykroyd had this to say, Howard Deutsch was a really fun director on the picture, he loved handling Candy and me, Howie and I are working on the sequel called The Great Outlaws, I am looking for the Candy figure. There are some really interesting names, but I can't say who. Howie and I are tickled to bring back Roman as a Ponzi scheme guy who victimizes a federal agent. Who knows, if I find the right partner. And Taika Waititi has been hired to adapt beloved comic book creation The Incal into a feature film. This is to be a big screen version of the comic by Alejandro Jodorowsky and Mobius. It's an epic space opera centered on a guy, P.I. John DeFull, who crosses upon a mystical artifact known as the Incal, which is an object of great power that's wanted by many across the entire galaxy. When he learns of the Incal's purpose and the powers that it holds, he joins up with a ragtag crew of unlikely cohorts and they embark on what begins as an improbable mission to save the world and the whole universe and slowly becomes a spiritual journey that examines the um, duality and meaning of existence. Taika Waititi will also be co-writing the screenplay with his freaking collaborator Jermaine Clement, known for What We Do in the Shadows and Flight in the Concords, that's promising already, and also writing is Peter Warren, known for Ghost Team, The History of Us. Now this graphic novel is also the foundation of the uh, Jotoverse, and that also includes comic book series like Megalex and The Meta Barons. So this is essentially the first film to come from publisher Humanoids, and of course you can expect the Jotoverse to follow if all goes well here. Waititi said in a statement, the films and graphic novels of Alejandro Jodorowsky have influenced me and so many others for so long. I was stunned to be given the opportunity to bring his iconic characters to life and I'm grateful to Alejandro, Fabrice, and everyone at Humanoids for trusting me to do so. Stay tuned for more as this one comes together. That about does it for me guys. Thanks so much for having me once again. ScreenRealm.com for all your latest movie and TV news. Catch you next week.
took to the hills And I really got hot When I saw Jeanette Scott Fight a triplet that spits poison and kills Dana Andrews said prunes Gave him the runes And passing them used lots of skills But when worlds collide Said George Powell to his bride I'm gonna give you some terrible your favorite song from rocky horror picture show uh probably the uh the wild and untamed thing is that the is that the name of the song meatloaf sings oh that's a good song is that what it's called isn't it saturday night i don't know what it's i don't i don't know what the official name is the meatloaf song the meatloaf song <laughs> mine's coming home you know i'm coming home that moment yeah. um towards the end oh it tears me up every time <laughs> That little bit of Tim Curry nipple coming out the top. I mean, I, I have to probably. I mean, and like you always forget. I always forget because it is so entrenched in culture. But the Time Warp was such a massive, yeah, massive, massive song. But you know, I always, I almost think of that outside of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Totally, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Where some of those ones that become like um, top forty hits on radio yeah. are the ones you like the least in the end, you know. And and I'm coming home is that one that sort of I used to, when you're a kid, it's boring. Yeah. And then when you grow up, it's like, that's a fantastic song. It's like Cheer Up Charlie from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Willy Wonka. It's the same thing. You grow up and you appreciate these things. And, you know, and yeah, touch me. Oh, like you kind of be like, oh, I didn't, that went right over my head as, yeah. a, as a kid. And then oh. afterwards, you're like, oh, I would like nothing more than to touch. Uh, <laughs> I feel like like uh, the shopkeeper from Open All Hours. To touch Susan Sarandon. On the bosom. On the. Well, she wants to feel dirty. And I'm more than willing to help out on that front. Richard O'Brien, there's a weird cat for you. Um, mm. He's an Aussie, isn't he? Kind of. He's half Aussie, I think. Right. You know, British and then grew up here, then moved back. And, right. Um, he was in Flash Gordon. 
Is, who's he in Flash Gordon? Uh, I don't know. But I'm, pretty <laughs> sure, I'm pretty sure he is. Let's uh, consult the IMDb. My, that no that, one can see, hear that's me tapping away. That is certainly something I don't have um, prepared. I just think he's from Flash Gordon. But he's also, might say, from Dark City, one of the great sci-fis. And uh, Alvira's Haunted Hills, mate. He's, he's, he's been in a movie with the hostess with the mostest. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, it's hard to tell. Like, I don't like the IMDb on the phone. <laughs> I like it better when they're all there on the page. You're not scrolling through, so, not side scrolling. I'm not a, I'm not a side scrolling kind of guy. Put some thinking music on. Oh, he's, oh, he's the bull guy. Oh. I've never, I've never seen him not looking like uh, what's his riffraff or whatever his name is in uh, thing. So I, I would have no frame of reference. So he's one of Baron's men. There you go. There's a picture. Is he plays a flute in possibly the most terrifying scenes in Flash Gordon when is they it... have to put their hands in the stump and there's the scorp the pussy scorpion thing. Is it a prominent role? He's he's like Baron's sidekick. He's Excellent. Timothy Dalton's uh, sidekick. There you go. But he's not. No, it's not. There was no other reason to bring Richard Bryan, O'Brien no, up other right. than that... um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. So that was a huge uh, digression. Um, but yeah, Elvira, you're a fan? Yes. Yeah, speaking of assets. Yeah. <laughs> Elvira's Haunted Hills. Did you like that one? I prefer Mistress of the Dark, but I do like Haunted Hills. Excellent. Anyway, uh, speaking of assets, Gamo. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, visit ScreenRound.com and follow their social media pages. Thank you to him for that update. Uh, so in case people missed it, um, last night we did present that No Time to Die episode and um, just want to remind you to go back and have a look because uh, we don't do those often, little spin-off shows. No. And um, it was great to have you and Keith on the microphone for the first time, mate. It was like we were touching the streams in Ghostbusters. <laughs> what? Or, uh, or like you know, I'd met myself in Time Cop and we, Keith and I couldn't touch because otherwise uh, we would cease to exist. <laughs> Well, we can tie James Bond in with sci-fi because of Moonraker, mate. That's right. Yeah. That... And that actually has some science in it. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> so if you're excited about the idea of seeing Keith and Ben at the desk at the same time, go to our YouTube and uh, have a look at that or Facebook. Ben, do you know why episodes four, five, and six of Star Wars were released before episodes one, two, and three? I, I sense a joke coming. I, I, I think I do. Well, because in charge of directing, Yoda was. I knew, I knew, I knew, <laughs> I knew it was going to go in a direction I wouldn't like. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't disappoint. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> We've got Simon Foster coming up in a moment. Uh, he's the director of the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival, which is on right now. Uh, it is presented both theatrically and virtually this year and the virtual component of the festival kicked off four days ago. Um, but it does go all the way to November 25th, so there's plenty of time to go and check that out. The lineup of films on offer is pretty cool and it's diverse and eclectic and uh, for want of a better word. Let's, um, let's cue some kooky space music and have a chat with Simon right now. G'day Simon, welcome to Good Movie Monday. It's great to have you here. Glenn, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for the, for the chance to have a chat with you. My pleasure. How are you? Little stressed. Little <laughs> stressed. Not far out from the festival now. As we speak, we've got the virtual festival just hours away, and the the uh, the live event about a week away. So it's kind of crazy. And um, 
Yeah, yeah, we're getting through it. <laughs> well, how good are science fiction movies, mate? Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm glad I'm yeah. in the game. I'm glad I'm in the, the, the sci-fi game. It's um something that I grew up with and and uh, it's when I had the chance to, to program a festival full of science fiction movies, it opened up, it re, sort of re-energised how much I love science fiction movies and it opened up this whole world of filmmakers whose films you just don't often see here in Australia and all of a sudden I'm watching you know 40 minute mini features from Bulgaria and the very best that Czech animation has to offer and all this sort of stuff so I'm loving it awesome before I before we get stuck into the festival I, I just want to sort of get to know your sort of you know your psyche when it comes to sci-fi so where does your brain go when when you hear sci-fi it goes dark it goes inventive it goes uh Gilliam it goes a little bit Tarkovsky it certainly goes Kubrick um as a younger man it, it clearly went Lucas and Spielberg they were you know I'm old enough to have been influenced and seen the Star Wars and Close Encounters at the movie so that that was always important um but it, it goes to something that I really look for as a as a film critic as well as a festival director it goes to original film like just in a really original vision um we often see the same story told many times over but with the the medium of film it's just great to see how many different ways a really imaginative filmmaker can take it and I think that's where my head goes for the science fiction it's funny and I'll, I'll blather on a bit here but you know I went through that period as a teenager where I I loved the horror and the sci-fi because it just attacked my senses and it sort of put me right in the middle of movie making and then I got all serious and started writing for SBS and watching you know black and white Polish films and you know documentaries and stuff like that but then I've come back to horror and I've come back to sci-fi because I just love that kind of rush that that, that, that those genres give me plus I love the way that they, they can interpret different and contemporary themes within that genre setting so um, yeah that's kind of where my head goes with sci-fi I feel like our generation is particularly nostalgic and we all gravitate back towards that stuff that sort of influenced us as kids. Uh, what's what's one movie, like I know no one likes being asked one movie, but what's one movie, science fiction, you know, that you think back to as you know, one of the most influential for you? One of the most influential, well, it's a boring answer, but it's Star Wars because that was the one that sort of set me on the path to, to discover other science fiction movies. I would say that... A film that I've gone back to many times over is Miracle Mile, the, uh, yeah. the film um, uh, that Steve Desjardins made with, with Anthony Edwards. That's a great bit of 80s sort of nuclear paranoia, you know, end of the world kind of stuff, which I loved. I've gone back to Brazil quite a bit, and I'm always surprised when I, I look at how many times I've, I've revisited Brazil. Plus, what I've also done is I watched so many of those movies on scratchy old VHS rentals when I was a kid this whole wave of restorations and you know remasters that are coming through now i'm watching some things i watched the remaster of june the other day the david lynch one which i only watched as a you know a scratchy old vhs tape and it was impenetrable to watch like that so um <laughs> as a fresh clean remaster it's still completely impenetrable but i still love it as much yeah uh, both miracle mile and june get you know frequent conversations on our shows <laughs> good answers so let's yeah. talk about the the sydney science fiction film festival for a moment oh for another five minutes at least. Anyone that hasn't heard of it, give us your best sales pitch. What is the, the festival all about? So the, fest, the festival is, is specifically to bring uh, Australian audiences um, in touch with 
different types of international and domestic um, filmmakers who have a, a strong vision, who have a strong sort of what we call speculative storytelling vision. Um, while we certainly have the little green men type of movies and the, the spaceships and ray guns kind of films, I still love those. I do try to have a, a broader, more international flavor to what we do. So, you know, this year we've got a, a an Italian Chilean co-production about soul transference. And we've got a, um, we've got an LA, a, 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 an American film shot by an LA based Aussie about a velociraptor that's been regenerated and starts hunting down the, this, a couple of millennials. So we, we try to go to, to unusual places um, to find the most unusual films so that audiences here in Australia get to see stuff that they wouldn't normally see. Yeah, fantastic. And you mentioned a, a few minutes ago the, the virtual experience that you're launching for the first time. And I'm guessing this is an obvious consequence of the pandemic. Can you walk us through the virtual experience and how it's going to work for people? Yes, uh, you're right. It was a consequence of the pandemic. We came out of last year's festival, had a very successful launch last year, and we had planned to expand the physical festival this year. Um, but uh, COVID hit again in Sydney and we had to scrunch up the day. So we're pretty much back doing the, the same sessions we had last year but we had uh nearly a 300 percent increase in submissions last year i finished on 70 films coming up through the the film freeway portal that we use this year we got to about 220 so we had this huge surge in submissions i had to put them somewhere because there was a lot of great films amongst them so i created this online event which we're doing in conjunction with zerb tv xerb.tv they're a u.s streaming platform um who give sort of you know smaller not-for-profit festivals like ours a chance to to go big there's no upfront fees they take a little bit of each screening but not a lot so i was able to really you know put upwards of 20 features and a bit over 90 short films into this online platform we had to maintain the integrity of the the physical events so for sydney listeners um the films showing at the Actors Centre at Leichhardt from the 11th to the 14th, they're not included in the virtual package, but there's still nine other features and all the shorts which are going out across New South Wales and across the country. This is a national online event. So, yeah, it's just uh, uh, xerb.tv and then search for Sydney Science Fiction. It'll come up as soon as you type Sydney and there we are. So. Awesome. I guess um, one of the few positives I guess we take away from the, the pandemic is that connectivity and many festivals are starting to adopt this sort of virtual experience, which will probably, you know, linger for a few years to come. It may be a sort of a, a permanent feature for a lot of them. Um, yeah. And it, it allows people from, you know, other parts of the country or the world to sort of join in. I'm hoping so. I think you're right. I think it's going to be impossible to, to imagine a, a film festival landscape that doesn't use sort of the hybrid format at least like that, that to have the virtual and the the physical event it's been such a savior for, for so many festivals and not just little ones like mine but you know the, the Cannes and the toronto they've all used the, the the online sort of model to to get their films out there to seen by media and people like you and i but also um audiences everywhere as well so i think we'll be keeping it i hope we can keep it I hope so too. Um, and for people like me that can't get up there, it's definitely something you know that's exciting. And um, what would you say is? <laughs> you probably hate this question, but Not what would you say? What would you say is a highlight of the festival for you? You're going to say all of it, but like, is no, there no, that no. There's out? a couple of films I hate that I was made to program by my committee, but I'm not telling you what they are. Um, <laughs> no, I would say the the breadth of 
Australian talent in the in the the Australian short film showcase. We've got one at the live event and two volumes of, of, of Australian short films online. And there's some extraordinary stuff that's come out of Australia in the last 18, 12 to 18 months. So I would definitely say, have a look at that. The one I mentioned before about soul transference, the Vera de Verdad, that premiered at the uh, European film market uh, back in February, I think, maybe March. And we negotiated for it then. I saw the film and was just blown away. I was blown away. I was a blubbery wreck after watching it. So it's a beautiful film. Um, we also have a South African film called Glass House, which is sort of a riff on the beguiled, kind of a, a pandemic has hit. And if you go out in the fresh air, your, fra- your brain gets fried. Um, so this family are living in this glass house, but a wounded man sort of stumbles upon them. And it's kind of what that sort of beguiled feel about it. So it was, and it's a beautiful looking sort of a bit of a picnic and hanging rock type feel to it. So you can see that we're not just, it's not all spaceships and ray guns, although I've got a few, a bunch of great ones of those, but there, there is some more unusual stuff there. That's why I was so pissed off when the Sydney Film Festival changed their dates and kind of lumped right on top of us because I'm kind of going for their audience. I'm bringing over these hard to find international films um, and hoping that people can sort of get over their snobby sort of attitude to science fiction and come and see these amazing films which yeah they have science fiction and fantasy elements but they're, they're great visions anyway let's hope you can maybe piggyback a little bit off them but um yeah the, oh, the, well that was the, part of it now that now i'm hashtagging uh sydney film festival on all my posts now so we get some of the runoff of their, <laughs> of, their of their social media might Excellent. The um the the fan film celebration has caught my attention. The double feature you've got with Lockdown and Attack of the Cat People. Now, yes. Cat People. I mean, I've only seen like the trailer for it, but that reminds me a lot of Lost Skeleton of Cadaver. Do you remember that movie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of my favourites. In fact, that's what I thought of when I saw um, Attack of the Cat People. It's made by Sarah Stevenson, who's a film critic and a Brisbane-based filmmaker, and she's like, it's a classic case of making movies with your friends on weekends and the look of it is is really good so um you know it's 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 made cheaply and lockdown which is sort of the story of how doctor who fans around the world coped with being in lockdown through the pandemic and and how their love of doctor who got them through that um i put these two films together they each run about 60 or 70 minutes um i put a cheaper ticket price on it's only 750 to watch these two movies online and and when you see Attack of the Cat People, it's such a hoot. She, you know, she harkens back to the Universal monster movies of like that she loves the creature from the Black Lagoon and that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, you'll have a good time watching it. Get it? It's a, definitely a beer and pizza kind of experience. Yeah, that one certainly speaks to me. But um, well, congratulations on bringing the whole festival together. It's an impressive program, and I do encourage everybody that's listening or even watching this video to uh, to check it out. Um, where can they go to find tickets and look at the program? Okay, so for the live event for Sydney listeners, it's at the it's our Film Freeway site. So just go to Film Freeway, go to our search for our festival, and the ticket page will pop straight up there in front of you. So that's for the live event, and like I said, for the virtual event, it's uh, xerb.tv. Search for Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival, and, and all the details are, are on there. All the the different streaming strands. So. Awesome. Well, um, thanks for dropping by. Good luck with it, and wishing you all the best, mate. Oh, you're a gentleman. Thank you for your support. It helps for, for festivals like ours, so thank you. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. We're today going to talk about the sci-fi films that made us. I'm made up of carbon and water or something else. What are you gentlemen made of? 
you you are corporeal i am corporeal chad what are you made of it's not sugar and spice hatred and leprechaun porn uh strangely accurate so when i first started thinking about this is I, the problem is is that the what my knee-jerk reaction is to say star wars because it, it didn't make me the young man i am but it's as you can see behind you, I love Star Wars, but it's not a science fiction film. It's fantasy. Space opera. It's a space opera. It's fantasy. It takes place in space, but there's literally no science in Star Wars at all. So the only thing that comes to mind after that, and I'm going to steal one from, from James, is that I just, and it doesn't deal a lot with science either, but I want to give Star Trek Wrath of Khan to be one of the most influential films ever on me. It probably taught me more about Shakespeare, great writing, ham-fisted delivery of lines than any other picture of all time. Also has one of the most tragic death scenes of all time, in my opinion. I think it's, I just talked about this with someone yesterday. It's hard for me to watch the ending of Wrath of Khan and do the needs of the many and not get a little misty-eyed. And I'll be more than happy to admit that to anyone. Of all the souls I've met in my life. You were one. It's the most human. Human. The human one yeah. doesn't get to me. It's the, it's the, the end with the hands. Hmm? No, I know. But I mean, that, that is one. Like if anybody critiques Star Trek saying that it goes over the top, it does stuff like that. The last really, I would say 15 minutes of that movie. It's, it's, it's a human experience. It's anger, it's frustration, it's fear, it's loss, it's, and it, it's all played well by every actor. I'll, I'll jump on, I'll jump in on this. So for me, the sci-fi films that made us, there were so many to choose from because like James, science fiction is one of my favorite genres, if not my favorite genre of films. Uh, it, it did have a lasting impact on me. I could mention, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek. But I want to talk about another one, and this may not fall into Joe's definition of science fiction, but I think it does. Critters 1 and 2. I did a twofer. Um, I really loved those films as a kid. Um, you know, I honestly, when I first started watching these movies, it was the one I actually watched a little more than Star Wars at first. And, you know, I also had a love of horror films, but I was a very timid child when I was younger and I had a hard time watching horror films like I, I had a hard time watching Night Around Elm Street and Friday the 13th but I could watch Critters and it was just because it was that per perfect blend of science fiction and horror and then Critters 2 came along and it just blew my world as well blew my mind as well so yeah I mean it's a weird pick to choose for science fiction that made us because there is so much to choose from because it is mine but it did have one of those lasting memories for me Critters 2 is a better movie I agree Rewatched so, re re Critters didn't hold up as well for me. But Critters so, does. so for science fiction films, I really science fiction is my favorite genre. I love so much of it. But when you say science fiction films that made me, what I thought about is science fiction to me is all about the human experience. And it made me think about what is the human experience? What's well, defining what it means to be human? It's about defining, you know, how fragile our experience, our reality is. And then how time is always a factor. And so my mind went to three films, and oddly, none of them Star Trek, which is odd because usually I've built that into everything. Blade Runner, Planet of the Apes, and Back to the Future. All of those deal with what does it mean to be in one moment 
or what is it what what one thing could happen that makes our world as we know it go away or what does it even mean to be human are the replicants not human and so uh, those are the films that come to mind if you held a gun to my head and said what science fiction films did you see and again made me think about what i saw when i was younger and those are the three that really made me go huh there's something there he gave three yeah i did but i crouched it and i didn't take as much time as you did mister i'm gonna talk i'm gonna reenact scenes you did the lines this has been bonehead weekly fun size i'm looking far away in visionary yeah so like we said at the start of the show ben joe's take on uh science fiction is quite literal Mm. yeah it needs to it needs it requires science i'm not sure i subscribe to that like uh, i just i don't say space opera if it's set like i do agree that that science fiction is a setting it's not a plot device like it is it's the same as fantasy or the same as a historical or whatever i don't think there's any other than that i don't think there's any rules (laughs) i didn't think there was any rules but you know. Hey, I appreciate his take on it. Nevertheless, that uh, seems to me that the other two didn't particularly agree with him either. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. I mean, look, yeah, we can all be friends, right? Yeah, sure. And you can find Joe, Chad, and James on the Bonehead Weekly Podcast, available on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, all right, a quick Spielberg question for you, Ben. Okay. Do you know what ET is short for? Uh, extraterrestrial. No, so he can get into his little ship. <laughs> They're getting, I didn't think it was possible, Glenn, but they're getting worse. <laughs> Speaking of Spielberg, um, I could have easily talked about a couple of his films for sure. Um, I've spoken about them too many times on the show, so that's why I'm not. Like E.T., obviously, hugely influential to me. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that's a movie that the imagery of that has stuck with me for my entire life. The, um, the level crossing scene gives me nightmares to this day. It's, it's funny that you bring it up because that's two now, two impactful movies on you in the science fiction room that I was bored to tears by. <laughs> And close. I know. I know. Jared is a huge fan as well. I'm massive. Loves it. I just. I. I don't like Richard Dreyfuss in it. Oh, I like do. he's a bit of an asshole. Yeah, he is. But he's driven crazy. But he's driven crazy. And I mean, you know, like just watching a guy for three hours make a shit, <laughs> a shit mound. <laughs> yeah. like, no, I just. I didn't. I didn't get it. Maybe I came to it too late. But it was just not for me. Well, there are three versions you can uh, yeah. <laughs> get stuck into. And I know how much you love Minority Report, Ben. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Speak of that, we won't. <laughs> and War of the Worlds. I mean, um, yeah, I could I could talk about Spielberg all day, but um, I've referenced them, so I'm happy. Um, did you know that Minority Report, not a joke, Minority Report was conceived as a Total Recall prequel? Really? Or sequel, one or the other, yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Well, they're both Philip K. Dick stories, so I guess I was yeah. trying to fashion it to a Total Recall sequel. And then I don't know what happened there, but yeah, because you on the surface, I wouldn't have said they would have anything to do with each other. No, on the surface, it's hard to breathe, you know, unless the oxygen. That was my sound effect of of, of Arnie's <laughs> head exploding. <laughs> it's a pretty good sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> you got to like grab at your neck and collar. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like yeah it's and it's that noise instantly everyone knows what you're talking about it's like when you go Whoa! everyone knows that the sarlacc tongue has just grabbed lando carizian <laughs> I, I now have some great transitional sound effects <laughs> <laughs> although that's a that's actually a what's her name scream a, a Wenham, wellum is that what it is well scream ah <laughs> yeah yeah they uh, use it in a lot of things i'm gonna go way back to 1984 to a movie that is so fucking cheesy 
despite being an MGM movie, I kind of feel like this one feels more like a Canon production, to be honest with you. It is The Ice Pirates, starring Robert Ehrlich, uh, Angelica Houston, and Ron Perlman, amongst others. And, dude, this one, as a kid, I'll tell you why it was sort of, you know, a movie that made me in a minute, but um, it did not hold up as well as I thought it would. I watched it last week, and you know what? I, I didn't enjoy you it. You didn't like it? See, I watched it again last week when you mentioned you were going to talk, talk about it, and yeah. I was furious because I was like, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? Uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I also, I think it is a, it's a landmark film. Yeah. In Robert Urich's career, because yeah. it's before his head got really big, <laughs> and I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean later in life, his head is fucking huge. He's got like a big football head, <laughs> and in Ice Pirates, he's got a normal sized human head. He's like Stewie from yeah. <laughs> the Family Guy. <laughs> he's always been a bit of a moon face. Well, it is a space opera, and it's a comical space opera. But it was originally written, I believe, to be a very serious science fiction film. But then, uh, when director Stuart Raphael, uh, I think his name is, read the script, it was so ludicrous. He insisted that he rewrite it and make it a comedy, right? Um, which is probably for the best. But uh, yeah, as a kid, I loved the shit out of this one, and I did watch it a lot. Um, and I do feel nostalgic for it. And I think now it's one that I'm probably going to revisit, maybe every three or four years, hoping to like it again. But I didn't reconnect this time. The set designs and the costumes, they're just so tacky. Um, oh, I really liked them. Kind of in a good way. I mean, what's that thing that Angelica Houston's wearing? Come on. Yeah, I look, I have to say, and no offense to Angelica Houston, but Ice Pirates is the first time I've ever found her incredibly attractive. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's real. Like, she is stunning mm. in the film, and yeah. you're like, oh my God, Angelica Houston. And then you watch anything else with her in it. And you're like, oh, Angelica Houston. I'm pretty sure. That's a horrible thing to say, and I apologize. I'm glad you watched it recently, too, because you can maybe answer this question, but I could have sworn that Ron Perman was dubbed in the one I watched the other day. No, I think, I don't know if he's dubbed. It may, young, maybe young... ADR, but he's putting, definitely putting on voices. Like, he doesn't, he hasn't yet grown into Ron Perlman. <laughs> to the Ron Perlman we know and love. <laughs> There's, um... He's just, he's a very, he's a very uh, theatrical. And what a, what a movie of its time, because. One thing that stood out like a sore thumb to me was right at the start, <laughs> Robert Ehrlich says, what happened to we rape and we pillage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, the chick behind. he's very upset that he didn't get to rape Mary Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all his, all his other, uh, his, the other pirates are like rolling their eyes and like, can we do that some other time? Okay. And that is, and that is just as, as, as a good reference point, Mary Crosby is the, is the female leader, the, not Angelica Houston, which is, mm. she's like a, just got a bit part, which yep. is a, a, a astonishing. But Mary Crosby is the daughter of Bing Crosby mm. and the aunt of Denise Crosby from um, all the Star Trek Pets, Next Generation and all that sort yep. of stuff. Um, but it's also uh, John Matizak, uh, yeah. Sloth, Sloth from uh, The Goonies. Mm. And he is hilarious <laughs> in it. He is like one of the kind of uh, the uh, shining... He shining acts, lights he in the acts film. with his eyes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and he's he's just hilarious. And considering that he's like a football player type guy, yeah. who he is a like I just wish he would have got to do like more stuff that showcased his comedic chops. Uh, but there's also um, there's also I think two generations of Barrymore. Is that right? The mm, kind of the maybe. evil, the old, the old guy that's kind of rules the um, the. Uh, Templars, because it's all the Knights Templar. It's a lovely little conspiracy thing there. there. <laughs> yeah. But the Knights Templar control the galaxy, and they can because they control the water. But the guy who runs them—that's I think it's—is it John Barrymore? I or don't no? Know. It's is it? Um, 
Oh, you got a carotene in there. Is it a carotene? And then, yeah. there's, then, then there's another carotene. It's the carotene grandfather <laughs> and the carotene dad. Yeah, it's not sure Barry Moore. It's, it's one of those. John uh, Carradine. Um, Bam, one of those acting dynasties. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the carotene. It's the carotene. It's two, but it's two carotenes. Yeah. It's like a father and son carotene, who don't play father and son in the, in the movie. So the John Carradine is the. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it off the top of well, my head. Right. But, this uh, is yeah, my film, so you, you yeah. didn't come prepared for this one at all. And you've, you've already well. delivered far more about it than what I would have. But um, I want to talk about just briefly why this is a movie that made me. And I, I attach it to my father because I was only five or six years old at the time watching this. And it was the first time I ever remember uh, he swore at me or to me. And so we were watching it and there's that scene where they're on like the cavea about, about the get castrated, right? Yeah. And my dad just looked at me. And just said to me, they're going to get their dicks chopped off. And I'm like, all I could think of, he just said dicks. dicks. He just said dicks. <laughs> and that for the rest of my life, I've, I've associated the Ice Pirates with, with that time my dad looked at me and, and like treated me like an adult, you know, just spoke to me like. <laughs> That's the first time I'd ever consciously thought about dicks. <laughs> <laughs> but I also found it hilarious. And so it was an actual bonding moment. With yeah. my dad, and that's why you know I was a bit disappointed that I didn't reconnect with it. Although that scene was great, it is like it is a fantastic scene. <laughs> yeah. And the director, I want to talk about him for a minute. Um, Stuart Raffel, he made back to back with this, um, the Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah, which, which is, is a great science fiction film. Yeah, but then he made Mac and Me, <laughs> which is also a great science know, fiction but, film. But to go from one to the other, he then made Mannequin Two, also a great science fiction film. Then he made Tammy and the T Rex. Another phenomenal science fiction <laughs> film. This guy's a hero. He's a legend. <laughs> so there you go. The Ice Pirates. Whenever there is danger, he'll be there. He's amazing. <laughs> Add it to your list. And if you uh, forget what movie it is we talked about, go to our letterbox and look it up. Because I'm sure... Um, I'll I'm not... rem- if, I, as, if I remember to update it. <laughs> I'm not going to reel off a bunch of titles like I did last week. <laughs> you really had your work cut out for you, so Ben. So many titles. <laughs> as, I was, as I was going through them, I'm like, did we even talk about this? Like, you just mentioned it. I know, but like where I mentioned one... <clears throat> And I mentioned another. It's kind of like, well, you can't yeah. pick and choose. You have got to put them all out there. If I would have, if I could have gone bothered going to the effort of listening to the show, I probably would have cut a bunch of them out and oh, go, yeah, "Look, we didn't talk about this. No, we didn't really talk about this." I was, enough. I was actually going to say to you, feel free to cross over, which, cross but out whichever ones it. you want. But I'm like, nah, fuck <laughs> well, it. I put I a lot of work it. into this yeah. show. I'm going to let Ben do a bit of work. <laughs> I do, and no work for this show. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, take a listen to what Chloe has lined up for something that um, made her. Good morning and happy Monday, my friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls and it was super, super duper easy for me to pick a movie to talk about this week because this sci-fi movie actually made me for real. I'm pretty sure it started my love with sci-fi and especially my love for sci-fi, action, comedy, all mixed together. And of course, I'm talking about the Bruce Willis classic, The Fifth Element. Fun fact, I revisit this movie multiple times a year. I just think it's that good. You've got Chris Tucker, Ian Holm and Bruce Willis. Oh my. Mila Djokovic, Gary Oldman, Luke Perry. My oh me oh my. Now when you take a deep dive into this 1997 gold mine, which I actually did on my podcast last year, it is a beautiful web of brilliance. Gary Oldman plays the creepiest villain with just the most weird headpiece and of course Bruce Willis saves the day from an evil alien invasion with love of course 
Now, the language that the stunning Mila Djokovic or Lilu, her character, speaks was actually created by Luke Besson and his co-director, which still blows my mind to this day. Eventually, he and Mila were even able to hold full conversations. Like, that's some Lord of the Rings shit. Besson uses colors that are vibrant and beautiful and the set designs were literally out of this world. So much detail, so much thought. Like, for instance, the scene in the airport where everyone is racing to get to Floston Paradise. If you listen closely, you'll hear some dialogue earlier in the movie that the garbage workers have gone on strike. Cut to the airport scene and the background is just piles upon piles upon piles of garbage. Amazing attention to detail. Now, if I have made anything clear in my previous segments on this podcast, it's that I love it. Absolutely love it when movies create the costumes instead of using digital effects. So, that being said, the Mangalores are probably in the top five of my most favourite non-CGI makeup costume effect in a movie. They are so evil and horrid looking and you hate them when you see them on screen, but you also can't look away. That's how you know it's good and that's how you know it's made its mark. When you can look at that creature and see on screen and almost imagine just how bad he would smell and uh, and that's when you've won me over. And don't even get me started on my thoughts on Diva Plava Laguna. Like, we don't even have time for that. Amazing. The other thing I absolutely love about this movie, apart from Chris Tucker playing his best role to date, is that Corbin Dallas or Bruce Willis and Mr. Zorg or Gary Oldman, the villain, never actually meet or communicate in the movie. They briefly cross in a frame or two, but that's it. So technically, neither of them are aware of each other and just how they're involved in the chaos. So like I said, brilliant. Listen, this movie is just the movie that keeps on giving. The more you read about it, the more you watch it, you will always discover something new and something that will blow your mind, which is half the reason I return to it so often. And look, this movie has been around for a while, obviously, and I really don't have to explain it to you guys just how great it is. But let me just say this. If you, by chance, for one reason or another, have never seen The Fifth Element, do yourself a favor please go now pull a sickie drop the kids off at granny's i don't care just go and watch it you will not be disappointed now that's my crazily obsessive opinion on this wonderful wonderful monday and i'm sticking to it till next time my friends thank you chloe uh movie night with the richie girls podcast which is returning with a new series in the new year uh, go check it out. In the meantime, you can catch Chloe and myself on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram with our up late videos that drop every Wednesday night at 10.30. Alrighty, so it's um it's a little coincidental that we're talking about science fiction movies this week, mate, because um last week I started reading a book uh, all about uh, anti-gravity. Right. Couldn't put it down. <laughs> oh, that one actually hurt. Yeah. <laughs> In- is, is there is there blood coming out of my ears? Because it feels like there's blood coming out of my ears. Anyway, mate, take it away. You got one more. One more, and this was like this was hard. Originally, I was I was actually going to talk uh, about the Last Starfighter because oh. that was probably the most influential film on me as a kid. Like especially because it is about an ordinary everyday kid who lives in a trailer park, played by Lance Guest, and he plays a computer. He clocks 
an arcade game, which I always wanted to do and never did <laughs> without cheat codes. Uh, and then he becomes, he gets zapped up into space and becomes, uh, helps pres- uh, was it predict, uh, was it, what, was it the Space Alliance from the Zerg and the Kodan yeah. Empire? Is this your film or is it just a notable no, mention? No, it's just a notab- notable mention. People want to listen more about that. We did an entire episode of the Rewind and Digress yes. podcast yes. a couple of years ago. So On you Last Starfighter. Scroll through our podcast until you get to that. Um, and the the guy um, that you know, the guy that comes from the future to, to get him. Robert Preston, yeah. yeah. That's like the prototype of Ziggy from Quantum Leap. Oh, right. That's is that what it is? That they got yeah. it from. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I do always, always thought that his uh, alien sidekick was taken from Enemy Mine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was an awesome film. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And it pl- the movie itself plays like a, what could have been the greatest video game, like point and click adventure game, mm. had they yeah. made it, but they didn't. Well, there, there's been news circulating that they are doing a, a follow up film. You know how they did the Tron follow up film? Yeah, right. Yeah, so whether oh. or not it happens. Whether or not it's going to be any good, that's another thing. But, yep. uh, you know, I kind of feel why mess with perf- perfection. But I, I, I would agree. You know, uh, but no, like instead, I'm going to talk about um, another film from a, a roughly the same the same period of time. Although, for some reason, my face ID <laughs> on my phone, it can, you know, when it's in my back pocket, my ass apparently resembles my face a great deal. <laughs> Yet, uh, my face no longer does. It is horrifying. <laughs> I've uh, been talking to the wrong end. You've been talking to the wrong end. I'm like one of those dogs you can't tell which end is which. <clears throat> Your breath is really bad, dude. It's a <laughs> It's because I've been eating chili. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about a film from 1985. So I actually think it was a couple of years before last Starfighter, this mm. one, uh, called My Science Project. Oh, geez, yes. Which was... Wow. Like, uh, and it is, I, f- I find it was like pretty similar to something to like Zone Troopers and uh, and a couple other films o- o- around that era. Cool poster. Um, it does have an amazing poster. Mm-hmm. And there is, I the thing that first made me realize that while I was watching was a classic mm-hmm. is that there are a scene where they're talking to the, the lead character played by um, John Stockwell and he's uh, fixing his car and this girl and uh, uh, the main, the, I guess the female lead, Daniel Von Zarek and uh, her kind of nerdy, uh, off sidekick, kind of blackmailing into being interviewed for the yearbook because mm-hmm. they're they're all just about to graduate. And she, one of the questions she asks is, "How many times have you seen Jedi?" And he's like, "I haven't seen Jedi." And they are <laughs> shocked that he has not <laughs> been to the cinema to watch Jedi numerous times, Return of the Jedi. So I was like, immediately then I was like, "This is this is my film. This is great." <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> and it does have a it does have an all star cast like. Um, uh, Dennis Hopper plays their kind of, and he pl- basically plays himself. He, they, they're hippie, mm-hmm. kind of throwback science teacher. Uh, Richard Massa from It yep. is the is the cowboy sheriff, and he's like I've never seen him in a kind of almost tough guy role, and yep. he's he's fantastic in it. Barry Corbin uh, plays his dad, and like he's he, the only scenes that Barry Corbin's really in is when he's making out with his uh, new stepmom on the couch, and it is not something I'm used to seeing Barry Corbin doing. <laughs> Uh, but it is, it is pretty great. But basically, uh, this this kid is told he's a mechanic. Like all he really cares about is cars, mm. and he's basically told he's going to flunk his uh, his science uh, class and mm-hmm. therefore not be able to graduate unless he comes up with a really good science project. So 
he heads off to, the, uh, and this is one of the great things about America that we don't have here, a military, there's a military <laughs> junkyard on the outskirts of town <laughs> where they dispose of all the fighter jets from uh, Vietnam, I guess, and World War II and all that sort of stuff. And uh, he falls through, he, they, they, he sneaks in there at night, falls through a like a kind of rotten floor mm-hmm. kind of thing and stumbles across this alien device that has been dumped there from kind of Roswell <laughs> that when activated, when they attach it to a car battery, as you do, mm. uh, because it does ha- it, it's alien technology that is basically, it's one of those orbs that you, uh, they had it, <laughs> guess what, where yeah. you, you put your hand on it and the electricity yep. flew to your hand. So it's Makes your hair stand up. Makes sometimes. your hand yeah. stand up. Yeah, static electricity orb. And it has like little terminals so you can plug in a battery. Yep. But when they do that, it basically opens up a rift between time and space yep. and transport. So they end up, you know, they, they fight guys from Vietnam. They... Mm-hmm. They they shoot, <laughs> they they literally use a um a grenade launcher to take out a T Rex, which is amazing. There's uh, also all sorts of things, and um, it's really really fantastic. But it, once again, it's another one of those science fiction movies where it's about ordin- ordinary everyday kind of bored teenagers yep. who stumble onto yeah. like it's an the amazing explorers. Thing. It's you know, yeah. I get exactly what you're saying. Fantastic, and like the Manhattan Project and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we need more movies, I reckon, where, you know, this kind of stuff happens, where you open like a, a vortex or a time warp that brings dinosaurs into the future or, you know, the vice versa. We just need those crossover movies. There's not enough of them, Ben. Yeah, that's right. Not, and not today, anyway. I was going to say, like the, it, there's also, Fisher Stevens also appeared. This is during that great period of time where Fisher Stevens was popping up in a lot of movies as a kind of a kid. Uh, but uh, the, the guy who directed Ice Pirates, he did Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. The guy who directed uh, my science project did uh, Theodore Rex. So there you go. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Jonathan R. Butel. Right. Or Betul. Mm. Betul? <laughs> I don't know him, but I, I he, do know those movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did, uh, yeah, he did uh, Theodore Rex. What else did he do? He did, uh, uh, oh, he did some Freddy's Nightmares stuff. Cool. Uh, he wrote The Last Starfighter. The Wow. Uh, You're really tying them together, mate. He uh, is a co-founder. <laughs> what does that mean? That's he's, why I don't like the. He found something with someone else. He, he, did, he had something to do with Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Oh. Maybe he wrote some of the comic. Maybe say he had something. Maybe he created Winter Soldier or something. Oh, that's, a, that's a challenge for our listeners. But uh, yeah, find out yourself. Look at look at IMDb <laughs> on a computer where you can actually read things and it's not all just dot dot dotted like it is yeah, on the we, on the phone app. We can't do all the work for them. Can't do any of the work for us. <laughs> Not on this episode. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> In fact, let's uh, let Adam do the rest of the lifting. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing the science fiction films that made us. Now in 1987, a movie came out that I should definitely not have watched. (laughs) Look, I wouldn't have watched it then because it would have been three years old. But when it did lay my eyes on this movie, look, I might have been uh, eight, nine, uh, still wildly inappropriate. It blew my mind. And what movie was that? That is Paul Verhoeven's Robocop, a movie that sounds like a kid's movie. It sounds like a movie made to sell toys and Happy Meals. But under the guise of Madman director Paul Verhoeven, this is a uh, pornographically violent sci-fi satire of the highest order. And if I had a gun to my head, uh, I would probably put this in my top 10 films that have ever been made. Now that sounds insane, but 
when you go back and revisit this thing, and any cinephile has got this obsession with revisiting their favorite films, you see layer upon layer upon layer. You see craft on top of craft on top of craft. Paul Verhoeven here is treating uh, Edward Neumeyer's script like a Christ allegory, uh, and he is simultaneously being razor sharp with the satire, but taking it deadly serious in the way that he's making it. I mean, this is so efficient. It has so many incredible sequences um, that you never really get a grip on where the movie's going. Uh, and I just think that it is straddling perfectly these different genres that it impresses me every single time that I see it. The performances here are honestly all so iconic that these people never really had to do anything again. They could just be on the Comic-Con circuit forever signing things. Peter Weller here is just incredible <laughs> as Murphy and Nancy Allen as his partner, truly iconic. Um, and Kurtwood Smith, I think, is just so, so good as the bad guy <laughs> that you never, you never kind of forget um, just kind of how creepy he was, even though he was in that 70s show after. So I think this movie has endured not only for its satire, but it's absolutely mind-blowing violence. And I think that Verhoeven, even though here he's using some really clever stop animation in places and animatronics, he uses, yeah, like gore, uh, like nothing that I have ever seen. And so despite the fact that this is kind of meant to be, you know, uh, elevated B, B movie. And some people might think that it's cartoonish. The, the effects here by Rob Bowden are so like lucid. They're so kind of terrifyingly real that you think you're just watching people getting straight up murdered. I remember that there was like a DVD uh, director's like unrated cut that came out and basically it just slathers on a couple more minutes of like extreme stuff that the ratings board definitely would have cleaved from any kind of theatrical run so yeah so if you've never seen robocop or you've thought that i won't see that because it sounds silly honestly do yourself a favor and just strap in for what is for my money one of the wildest movies of the entire 1980s and one of my top 10 movies of all time absolute five-star film robocop <clears throat> i like robocop but i prefer the parody dick shooting uh, uh parody of robocop <laughs> just keep shooting people in the dick you know i only uh just watched the um Movies that made this episode of you know Robocop. Robocop. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, mm. I, I do enjoy that show. It's, as annoying as it is at the same time. Yeah, like sometimes they're a bit. Uh, it's a, <laughs> your, my my if my favorite ever review that you've written was when you talked about uh, was it uh, the Canon Electric Boogaloo, Mark Hartley's Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> yeah. and you said you felt like it was pissing on your childhood. <laughs> Which. <laughs> I guess to a degree it is. It doesn't paint a flattering picture of uh, of uh, Golan and Globus, but I don't think there is a flattering picture of them to paint. Right. But uh, you know, unless unless they painted it themselves <laughs> using uh, very imaginative uh, <laughs> brushstrokes. But uh, yeah, that's kind of that show does feel a bit like um, you know they say you never you the thing about sausages and laws you know, you don't want to show people what's in them or how they get made. And I feel that way about those movies. Like, there's only so, so much, you know, behind the scenes making of <laughs> stuff that I want to know before it ruins it. Well, for me, it's like I enjoy all of the information they're peddling, <laughs> but I don't particularly enjoy the structure and the narration. Right. I did yeah. like the. I mean, the only one I can think of that I really saw was the Die Hard episode, which I did like. Yeah, and I like the way they took the piss out of John Landis. That was just hilarious. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you can catch Adam on Triple M and Ticker TV. Um, two of the places where he uh, likes to talk about movies. He's also the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association and you can track him down on Facebook at the Adam's Just Seen page. 
But moving on, Adam usually signals the end of the show and it's no different now. We're, we're so we're not really moving on. We're done. <laughs> well, I've got a few more things I want to add. Thank you uh, very much. More plugs? Um, well, I think you've said uh, like, just one more plug like three times. We never plug ourselves. So, was, nah. so no, we're just making up for lost time. Do you know why the, the ocean is so salty? No. Because the land never waved back. <laughs> it's not even a science fiction joke. I don't, I don't think I'm going to. Uh, I'm not, not going to talk for the rest of the episode. Now. Marine biology is a science, and that joke was you know, fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the show. <laughs> Thank God for that, says Ben. <laughs> to run off some um, some more truly influential. Uh, sci-fi movies. The fact that Ben's not responding to me, I'm going to just name a whole lot of them and we'll add them to our letterbox. <laughs> um, of course, the Star Wars movies, but you know what was more influential to me than Star Wars was the Ewok movies. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, like Caravan of Courage, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like that was a big one. I remember uh, Ewok's Battle for Endor is a weird one because I remember it being terrifying. Because of the spider? Uh, the spider and like even just the just the the creatures, whatever they are, that attack them all the time. And everyone, like, it's got the greatest beginning of a science fiction sequel ever when all the characters from the first one are killed in the first two minutes of the sequel, which is like, this is fucking hell. What's happening here? (laughs) Uh, It's great. I remember Caravan and Courage being, like, the fun, whimsical movie with cute, fluffy Ewoks. And then Battle for Endor was just dark and really... you You feel like that's the one that George Lucas really got his mitts in. Yeah, but I feel like that one didn't hold up. No, it doesn't. It, it, like Caravan of Courage still holds up. Battle for Endor does not, even though it does have uh, my favourite character actor of all time, Wilford Brimley. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to yeah. talk to you about diabetes. <laughs> I was going to say, which Ewok here has diabetes? <laughs> 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 you little fella don't look so well. <laughs> uh, Enemy Mine, uh, Eliminators. I, I used to love Eliminators when I was a kid. Inner Space was huge for me. Mm-hmm. I won a colouring contest at my video store. Uh, won a pair of inner space goggles. I was going to say you you won cowboy boots no. that you can you never take off even when you make love. <laughs> like I'm, I just I'm like a it's, cowboy. I find I think the thing that uh, inner space is most responsible for it in like its real enduring legacy is that Robert Picardo was like a sex symbol in it. Well, so was Martin Short to an extent. Yeah. You know, he, he Meg Ryan well, fell yeah. for him in the end. Yeah, kind of. Well, she gets, she gets back with Dennis Quaid, but she still has a glitter, yeah. <laughs> glitter in her eye for him. Uh, Cocoon, there's another one with um, Wilfred. They all had diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Walter. Well, Walter. not after they swim in the pool, they don't. No, they don't. Cured uh, Predator. Well, I was going to say, like on my list, I did have, but I had Predator 2 more oh, so than Predator. Stunning. Because, uh, like, I remember, like, for, for years after watching Predator 2, and I think I actually saw Predator 2 before I saw Predator for some reason, because I think Predator, well, Predator was R-rated, mm. and probably Predator 2, I must have just seen it on TV when my parents didn't didn't know. I think number two was like Total Recall. There was an R-rated cut that I think first hit home video, but yeah, there right. may have been a dumbed-down cut, but that, geez, that was but, a gruesome uh, film. I just remember there's that great scene where the the Rastafarian gangsters are like voodoo magic man, voodoo magic. <laughs> it's so awesome. And you got the stripped bodies hanging from the roof. Yeah, and all, all that you know when you get Gary Busey getting sliced in half, which yeah. was awesome. And then the the um, I think they they don't they kill one of the Rastafarian gangsters. 
uh, just after he's banged his like uh, his girlfriend, <laughs> and they rip out the spinal column, and it's yep. kind of like. It's one of the most, it's, once again, very, very underrated sequels. You know, yeah. I don't understand. I kind of do understand why it got maligned at the time, but like it holds up particularly well, even though it's one of those future movies that mispredicts the future. Yeah. <laughs> and look, and, and you know, in all fairness to Predator, going back, Predator does have a lot more quotable stuff in it. Oh, yeah. it, is, yeah, it, totally. is, it is a much better film, but there is something to be said about Predator 2. Completely agree. So... I'll do you the favour, and I won't reel off any more. Well, can I? Should I reel off my my list? You Just do a couple. It to yourself. You have mentioned a. You, a <laughs> <laughs> you have mentioned a couple at, uh, but uh, Fortress. Oh God, and Fortress the, Two, mate. And, well, I wasn't going to go that far, <laughs> but Fortress, Back to the Future. Well, I'm surprised that we didn't mention. Heck yes. Uh, Running Man, without which, a doubt, a classic. Uh, Masters of the Universe, which I think I've talked about on the show before, which is why I didn't bring it up this, yep. this time, but much more so than the cartoon, the movie. Yeah. And remember, everybody, we're talking about movies that made <coughs> us, not yeah. movies that are great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Escape from New York is yeah, a big one. Without a doubt. And that is great. Weird Science mm-hmm. is like the sexy the sexy one. That Michael Berryman line at the end of Weird Science is just hilarious. Yeah. Oh, God, when he just talks proper English. Like yeah. <laughs> Something that he hasn't done before or since. He apologises for crashing the house. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, uh, Mac and me, we mentioned Spaceballs, though. Oh, Spaceballs oh. was possibly one that I watched probably the most, I think maybe the most out of all of them. I was talking to Chloe about that recently because Mel Brooks was coming back with History of the World Part 2. Mm-hmm. And I would, yeah, I, he did a sequel to Spaceballs in cartoon form, but I would love to have uh, seen a part two of that as well in science fiction there's so many ways you could go yeah it's, it's hard like i find that and the, the beauty of space balls is that it does get better with time as you've seen more movies yeah and you can see all the references yep. that you may have missed as a kid <laughs> and then the references that other movies have made to space balls do a quote from space balls <coughs> uh, you got the creeps the bleeps and sweeps <laughs> <laughs> one two three four that's the <laughs> that's the kind of code an idiot has for his luggage <laughs> Uh, uh, sir, this is Mr. Coffee. <laughs> of course it is. I, no. always, I always like coffee when I read Rita. <laughs> this is Mr. Rita. Yeah. Cold so the good. desert. Man, yeah. we ain't found shit. What, a, what did he have? He had the special. Check, please. <laughs> That's a great cameo, John Hurt cameo. It's fantastic. And oh. Pizza the Hut. Oh, you're so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I just love eating your book. <laughs> So good. I'm a mug. I'm half man, half dog. I am my own best friend. <laughs> oh shit! Are you? I, a, I could talk about this for a long this time. This guy's an asshole. I'm surrounded. By, I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> when is this? This is now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, anyway. Ah, the show has come to an end, Ben, and it would just be two idiots talking to ourselves if it wasn't for Jarrett Garn and. Guillermo Troncoso, Chloe Ritchie, Adam Ross, Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, James Thomas, and a huge praise to Tia, who does some stuff behind the scenes for us as well. And most importantly, thank you to everybody listening. We do appreciate it. Don't forget to vote for us on that uh, Podcast Awards website. I'm talking to you, five people. We know who you are. (laughs) Here's a song that was requested by the one and only Ben Helwig. It's called uh, Lepty Neck, Mate. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> AKA Fancy Man. That's the English translation. Is it Fancy Man? Yep. By the Max Rebo band from the theatrical cut of Return of the Jedi. And that's the only cut that matters. I can ne- I never get the names right, but like I thought this would be more more uh fitting than uh Chum Nub. Is that <laughs> yeah. what it's called? Chum Nub? 
Chumnut's a funny word. It's funny. It is a funny <laughs> word. I can never. I'm, it's like it's like if you read a lot of fantasy novels and stuff when you're a kid, and like reading them, it's fine. When yeah. it's in your head, it's not a problem. The minute you start talking to somebody else about them and you say the words out loud, then you go, I've wasted my life. You kind of realize that you know, just the name, just some of the names of characters and stuff. You're like, what am I, what am I doing with myself? Uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time. I